Go ahead to this. Listen, I sit in your class. I play by the rules. I'm young. I'm fly. I'm black. So, of course, I think I'm cool. Geometry is my thing. Physics is just a breeze. So it bothered me last week when you, when you said I should be happy with that C. You know, I've been wondering lately, trying to figure out just how it could be that you're around me so often and still don't know a thing about me. You see me on TV, marching in a band, then you flick the channel and there I am again, cuffs on my hands, a coat over my head. The news anchor warning that I'm someone you should dread. The police say I'm a menace, that you should be on the alert. The nightly news recounts all the people they say I've hurt. The mayor says I'm a threat. Psychologists call me depressed. Bloggers can't figure out what's up with me, so they make up all the rest. You know, I've been wondering lately, trying to figure out just how it could be that you can see me so often and still don't know a thing about me. I live next door to you. You see me on the bus. Sometimes you even tell me just be quiet, child, hush. Then I'm out with my boys, two, five, or even 10. It's funny when that happens. You don't seem to know me then. I'm just another black boy, a threatening, scary sight a tall, black, eerie shadow moving towards you late at night. You know, I've been wondering lately, trying to figure out just how it could be that you could talk to me so often and still not know a thing about me. Listen, I am Anne Marie, host of About This Life, and I have just read a poem to you this poem is called You Don't Even Know Me, written by Sharon Flake. I want to dig into this topic, especially as the school year is about to begin, about the education of our Black boys. Don't get me wrong, as a woman, empowered woman, <laughs> I there is so much value and, and conversation to be had about our girls, especially in such a hot topic as STEM. But I want to dedicate this episode to boys because we often overlooked our boys. So I have a guest with me today, and his name is Terrence McNeil. I would love to ask Terrence, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and you can even share how it is that I, I found you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, first, it's, it's so awesome to be here. Uh, I am Terrence McNeil and um, I work for Prince George's County uh, Public Schools. Um, and so I was moderating a session um, with best-selling author Jason Reynolds, who was incredible. And um, Anne-Marie, he reached out to me hey, um, I would love to, <laughs> you know, do a podcast with you. I think you did incredible, such and such and such and such. And so this is how we are here now. Um, and I'm so I'm so pleased to be about this life right now. So um, let's let's get to it. 
Okay, shout out, shout out. That's what that's what I know, you know. <laughs> and just like all the commentators, all, all the educators in the room said in your session, yes, you ready for your own podcast. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So I want to start off in terms of your reflections of that poem by Sharon Flake. It, it begins, uh, the narrator is, is really sitting in the classroom being told he should be content with mediocrity for his level of functioning. And then it goes and transition into the neighborhood and so on and so forth. So what connections can you make with that poem? Uh, all of it, really. Um, I, I... When I was in school, um, I was always in the honors classes, so I never really got C's until I got to college, to be honest. Uh, but just he, being present and being there and like, OK, this is what you should accept. This is, you know, what you should be OK with. You know what I mean? Like that, that it doesn't it doesn't sit right. And so, you know, for the writer um, to, to express that, you know, it, it is very, very true uh, as far as socially going out into the neighborhood. All of that is true. Um, when you're by yourself, uh, when you're with your boys, um, two, five, ten of them, it, it only gets worse. There's a whole like cross the street dilemma that was raised in the movie Crash. I don't know if you remember that, but um, yeah, it's it's a whole type of situation where there's so many questions um, that are derived, you know what I mean, from just my presence of uh, being being black and being a male, and so. Um, do I shrink myself into these spaces to make other people comfortable or do I stand firm and who I am? You know what I mean? And so that's in the classroom, mm -hmm. that's outside the classroom, all of it. And so that, that poem is, it's not just words on a piece of paper, uh, you know, or, or words typed on the screen. It is legitimately uh, factual information. So I think it was a uh, beautiful and definitely thought provoking for sure. Terrence, why do you think people don't, don't see black and brown boys? What are they missing? What are we um, missing? Uh, you know, to be honest, I really don't know the answer, right? And I know that doesn't mm -hmm. make for like the best conversation, but it, it's 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 hard to to know the answer why we aren't really seen. Um, and I think that uh, obviously we dominate basketball, we dominate football, and so you can see us in that arena, right? You can see us in that vein. Um, but as far as intellectually or really truly understanding what kind of feelings we have or um, the mental health issues that we may deal with or our ability to be successful in areas outside of athletics, um, even behind the scenes, business managers, you know what I mean, agents, those mm -hmm. type of things. It is very, very, very uh, difficult to see how unseen uh, we are. And so why that is the case, uh, I don't know. Um, if I had to uh, pontificate an answer, it would be that um, there's some fear as to uh, what is possible when mm -hmm. we fully are accepted um, and unified. And so in order to kind of keep us divided, um, it's easier to pretend uh, that we're invisible. And it's not just one like subset mm -hmm. of people that does it. It's it's across, you know what I mean? Like multiple uh, groups of individuals that we are uh, unseen, I feel. And so that in itself is unfortunate. Um, but again, if I had to kind of create an answer, that that would be what it is. You know, it's interesting um, touching upon some of the things that you're saying. I think of Magic Johnson recently, who have taken over uh, the Washington football team. And we, of course, know him from his days as a, a Lakers player. And we 
are, are reaching a point, possibly, hopefully, where we're seeing models of people who can dominate, not just in the area of athletics, but from an intellectual point of view as well. I think um, there's a level of invisibility uh, that as educators, uh, we keep missing. And I say that, I, obviously I'm a woman, but it's female dominated. And I often, as I work with my colleagues whom I love so much, but across the spectrum and being the parent of two boys, there's a difference that is I can observe in terms of how we speak to boys as opposed to how we speak to girls. And did you experience any of that in in growing up at like in elementary school? Um, you, you said you were always an honor student. So how did that translate in terms of how you were treated? Yeah, I, if I'm honest, I don't remember any distinct difference between the way that I was spoken to as opposed to the way mm -hmm. that the girls are talked to. Um, I... Amen. I always love to. Yeah, I always, <laughs> I, I always love to read. Um, and I think that the expectations for me, um, were high, but it was based off of like the student that I was. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't really think there was any like disparity between um what the females received and what I did. Um, maybe in an area like handwriting is like you know as picky as that sounds. <laughs> My handwriting is terrible, right? So, uh, <laughs> but like other than that, you know what I mean? I don't think it was really um there was there was no a real difference in the way that I was spoken to growing up as opposed to the females uh, when I was growing up. However, uh, what I will say, and I might be digging into another question, um, in the classroom now, you know, uh, I've noticed that it is a little bit different, right? The discipline is a little bit different, uh, mm -hmm. especially, you know what I mean, uh, for females as opposed to males. And the patience and tolerance is a little bit different, I would say. Um, and again, this is generally speaking, is not can't be factually proven right, or anything like right, that. It's just kind right. of like perception, you know what I mean? And so right. um that is that is that's what I would say, not when I was growing up or anything personal, but I, I do uh feel a little bit now um that it might be a little different. That you might be a little different. So um uh, in terms of it who set those standards? Did that come from like a reaction from the school or was that something that mom and dad did? Um so who so shepherded up, you? <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up uh, just raised by my mom, single mom type situation. I grew up in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. um, right in the inner city. So I grew up with no dad. And um, so it was mom and my grandma and my great grandma and uh, my granddad who, who really, you know, um, shepherded where I was, you know. But I think the love of reading uh, was kind of like organic and natural. Um, I wasn't able to kind of go outside um and play in a neighborhood as much as I wanted to because of how violent it was growing up and so my alternative right instead of just looking out the window like pining to go outside it was like all right let me pick up this book and let me get into it and so that was uh where you know that 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 came from um so just kind of like being shielded from the dangers of of the neighborhood so I want to talk about that a little bit and feel free to push back if, if I'm off the mark or it, if what I'm saying just doesn't apply. So think about yourself. Think about the students that you teach as well. We all have our biases. I have my own bias. For example, one of my biases in my own 
teaching uh, experiences is I tend to, I will catch myself saying that boys are going to be more active than girls. That's my bias, you know? So I want to do kinesthetic type of learning activities and so on and so forth. So I'm, I'm trying to create a judgment-free zone. For sure. But in terms of uh, the thought that um, people tend to have perceptions of you, um, for example, I've heard teachers say, well, that person, they really don't know how to write. Or that person, they can't be someone who's well-read that they place these statements onto our children when, especially in your case, they might not, it really isn't true. Um, and it's hard for them to marry the thought that I have an, intel an intellectual person in front of me. So my question is, how do I, or well, how do educators get over their biases of what they think a person should be what a person how do you get to a point where you see the person for who they are and not what your own bias is i think um it goes back to the poem right um and i think it was so beautifully read and i think it's well written um you spend so much time with me but you don't know who i am right and so we spend so much time in front of these students and i think a lot of times we don't really take the time to listen to what they have to say um, or, you know, actually mm -hmm. hear them, right? When they're trying to talk or they're trying to express themselves, um, we want to just kind of see what we want to see. And we have one goal, one objective, and this is what the lesson is about, and that's it. And sometimes when you release control of, you know, what the lesson is supposed to be or where it's supposed to go, it may feel like it's a lost uh, lesson, but it's not, right? You learn so much. School is not just about what's inside the books, right? It's not just about the scaffolding. It's not just about, you know, um, the standards that are set. Um, there's so much learning to be done and it's, it's, it's two ways too. And so I think the first, the first thing that you can do um, is to just listen, right? Like stop talking mm -hmm. and just listen to what they have to say. And I think they, they will reveal themselves, right? The students will reveal themselves if you just listen to what they have to say. Um, and it seems like it's so simple, um, but it's so complicated because again, I've, I've seen it where like kids won't, like if you're not authentic with them, you know what I mean? They're yeah. not, what reason yeah. do they have to be authentic with you? You know what I mean? So um, I think those are, are two things, right? Just shut up and listen. <laughs> mm -hmm. and then like actually be authentic right like so so instead of portraying this you know I've never made a mistake I never did this when I was a kid like come on now like you weren't born this way you know what I mean so um you and I think perfect <laughs> no you weren't right and so I think the kids the kids re respond um in a different way once they understand like okay there's a little leeway right uh for me to mess up right um I can say this uh to my teacher and not get like this negative kind of response because I think if I'm honest and I can say this was my experience um personally when um you don't have a bunch of outlets, right? So at home, you, you're not the same person that you are at school, right? Because it's not the same environment. Some kids really, really, really look forward to coming to school, right? Um, but if in your classroom, they're not allowed to really express themselves and they have to like, be in a shell, you know what I mean? Like that's that's not something that they want to look forward to and they can't wait to get out of your class and go somewhere else. So, yeah. How do we move away from this um 
So what I'm hearing you say is that kids value authenticity. For sure. And and kids value one of the fundamental foundations, at least one of the things that do well, is in terms of relationship. <laughs> because what is it about, you know, one teacher will scold a student and uh, quick to write them up and another student and another teacher will have a conversation with that with that student so it it's true in terms of the authentic authenticity and in terms of having a relationship with them so my question is how do we move away from discipline being our first reaction to when a kid does something that is not in alignment with our expectations. So I think that's an interesting way to phrase it. Right. Um, and we're talking about, you know, we're talking about boys. Uh, we're talking about black boys in particular. And so I would say that discipline is still very, very necessary. Right. Um, and it's not always uh, a negative thing. Right. So I think without discipline, like just free willy nilly type situations, um, that's not constructive either, right? So I wouldn't say to abandon, and that's not what you said, but I'm just saying, mm -hmm. like, don't abandon discipline. Don't be afraid to, you know what I mean, have a stern conversation or a stern talk or, you know, even have, implement some consequences for it. Um, but as far as, like, getting away from the first, um, the first response being a disciplinary action, I think, again, it's, it's, it's that relationship. Like, do you care mm -hmm. about the kid or not, right? Like, do you, do you care or not? You know what I'm saying? So, um, what what would you want done for you, right? Would you want grace or not, right? So if you are in a situation and you, you know, make an error or you have a lapse in judgment, right? Do you want the first thing to be done to you, right? As to be a disciplinary action or would you benefit from a conversation? You know what I mean? And I think that's that's something that's, it's um it's definitely case by case, right? So you can't extend the same, uh the same exact grace, I would say to every individual student, right? Um, But you know what I mean? You, you just kind of, you build your judgment and you go from there. So I think that's the, that's the first step. You know what I mean? Care about the kids, um, talk to them, right. And mm -hmm. see, you know what I mean? And put yourself in their, in, in their shoes too, to just kind of figure out, you know what I mean? Like would I want to be this play for this or not? And then, you know, you kind of go from there, use that as your, as your compass. Okay. Awesome. And that segues into to what I want to talk about a little bit. And you can, you know, pull from your own experience, personal experience or you can pull from your professional experience in, in terms of working with population. Um, there's a lot of talk where we, and, and actually let's reference the, the conversation you had with uh, the author, Jason Reynolds, when he, he said, you know, I don't come from a broken home. <laughs> and he was uh, speaking to the point and redirecting our perception overall when people say, oh, that kid's just from a single family home, you know, that there's no support or that kid is not going to do well. It's almost like we're prophesizing and when we're giving the, the kid a destiny based on our own bias, you know, he's not going to do well because, you know, he's a single mom, so on and so forth. And Jason Reynolds put us in our place and <laughs> said, my home isn't broken. My mom and dad might not be together, but it isn't broken. So commenting 
comment, if you would, on that notion of, you know, this perception that kids who have single parents raising them are all, you know, they're average, they're going to fail. They're not, they don't know how to excel. Yeah. Um, what are I mean, your thoughts? I, I, unequivocally, that's, that's wrong. You know, uh, I'll, I'll say that, <laughs> you know, uh, it's not like, you know, it's, it's not anything taboo to say. But that. why is um, it wrong? And, and what do we do? <laughs> so I, I, that's, that's more of a, uh, individual, I think problem. If, if you, you know, think that way, right. If that's mm -hmm. one of your biases, then that's something that you would have to address. Um, but I, I think like you, you can't, you really can't, um, judge that, right. You, you can't, you can't use that to judge the students, right. Because their potential everywhere right so um if you you think about the multiple intelligences that are available right that have mm -hmm. been studied that have been identified right even if it's not in your class <clears throat> and it may not excel in your class right mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that that's because they come from the home that they come from right um mm -hmm. and so I, I just think that that is something that's fundamentally uh untrue what do we do about that i think that you can continue to have the conversation um especially if you hear it you know what i mean well let um, me get so a little hard hitting because maybe you're okay. not in the school that i am <laughs> and we we might be sugarcoating in it a little bit uh because far too often there's so many conversations uh that i've been privy to and and Oftentimes I try to walk away because I, I don't want to be bogged down in the negativity of it all. Sure. But sure. I think there's something that parents need to take a hold of that educators, we, we don't get into this job for the money, right? No. Theoretically, we have a heart to be with kids, to be with children, but there are far too many educators who are laying the blame of the household the parents don't do this. The parent doesn't do that. They're from a broken home. Um, they're not going to amount to anything. Nobody's there to teach them manners. They harp on the negative and they drive that down into the soul of a child uh, very often. We know it's wrong up here, <laughs> maybe even in our heart. We, we know it's wrong and still it's done. So how do we get from under those comments and those negativity and those um, things that tends to press you down? What kind of conversation does a parent need to have with a teacher, for example? What kind of conversation does a parent need to have with their child, for example, when they hear such things? Um, how about we stay there for a moment? What does a parent say or interact with a teacher? How does a parent talk to their child about handling these situations when people are talking down to them? Yeah, I think that's, you know, um, it's an interesting question, right? So uh, as a parent, as I am as well, um, like if it's coming from an adult, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I, you mm -hmm. have to, yes. you have to, you have to, um, at least I, I like to think that I instill in my child right like what they are capable of right and um how limitless right their potential is and so um with the comments like that coming from an adult uh especially one that has authority you know what i mean um it mm -hmm. can be damaging yes um but i think that's where your role as a parent really comes into play as far as talking to your kid 
and always um, instilling positive, right, mantras uh, in them and things that you really, really truly believe in, right? So affirmations and things like that, um, because there's no reason to address that um, for your child, right? To address that with the teachers, there's no place for it, right? And so you hear it, okay, mm -hmm. cool, right? That's what you think. Let me follow away from motivation. And that's pretty much it, right? That's that's all um, to me, you can teach your kid to do. Um, and so I think that um, as a parent, if your child comes to you with that information, um, I I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it's worth like the conversation to have right. with the teacher beyond like, hey, uh, did you make these comments, right? Um, why would you do that being in a position that you're in for students to hear you, right? Because I heard about it. And so like, you know, beyond that, like what else are you going to do? Um, I'm, I'm not like I'm not going to the school board. I'm not going to you right. know, press or anything like that. Um, these are the people that are forming and shaping, you know, the minds of the future, right? And so I think for me, right, it's it's more um, beneficial to uh, take whatever vitriol is being sp spoken by those people in authority and have your child individually, right use that as fuel um for for their successes right and to to again to denounce it right is untrue because that's that's what it is you know it's it's, it's untruth it's not factual mm -hmm. um and so it has no place uh in those those dialogues that's that's what i think so what do you think okay what do i think it it's interesting because i've seen the spectrum and first of all i don't want uh parents to go storm in the school building <laughs> because i want to be able to to comment on there's a lot of challenge often in terms of teachers we often find ourselves under attack by parents um, because of the way that we are are approached and we are immediately um found guilty or we are uh, immediately spoken to um ourselves as if um what in the world who are you and what are you doing to my child and that continues to be a, like a, a problem or friction um between parents and teachers if you would i experience it to this day and i've been in this game nearly 25 years and i was like okay let's have a a, a civilized conversation and and talk about what happens because as as we both know kids don't always give you the whole 100% of the story either sure. so it it can be flipped so that's an interesting question um i i i think of you know I remember a friend and he was sharing with me that when he was growing up uh, and it, it's in a different state than where we live, he's growing up and certain students were placed in like the top tier class, the equivalent of an honors class. Certain students were placed in uh, the generic class and then a lot of students were placed in the class, you know, where there was like discipline problems, reckless abandon. And so he grew up in a in a school system that was structured in such a way. And his safeguard was, you know, his mom who um guided him and, and helped him navigate those waters in terms of 
being on task and doing your work and and completing your assignments and so on and so forth. So how do our children, how do they get agency for themselves? How do, how do they get agency for themselves? Perhaps they don't have an adult who's looking out for them. How do they, how do you get agency for themselves? I think that's a, it's, it's tough because some adults, if we're being honest, don't have agency for themselves, right? Um, mm-hmm. Where they won't stand for themselves and they won't, you know, advocate for themselves uh, what they need. And that's, you know, across, you know, like uh, any type of area. And so that's difficult. However, I do think it is important for um, for students, for children to have someone who will stand for them, who will be their champion. Uh, and that is where um, agency is developed. Once you see it and you understand what is happening, right? You may not understand it fully, but you see what's going on. You see it here, right? And then you see it again, right? Repeatedly. Then it's like, okay, this is the right thing to do. And so like a lot of behavior is learned, I feel like. And so excellence can be learned, right? Advocacy can be learned. But where do you um, get that from? Like Terrence, um, you know, we're having this wonderful conversation um, sure. b- between colleagues. We were, we didn't come into the world this way. <laughs> so, so. Where did we see that modeled? Who modeled it for us? Who who taught us how to speak, how to approach, you know, versus, you know, you gave me a knee, you failed me. (laughs) Who taught us how to say, um, like, Miss Milani, would you please, uh, can we talk about my grade as opposed to, well, you gave me a knee, you're going to get me in trouble. (laughs) Yeah. So, so it doesn't, it doesn't always necessarily have to be a parent, right? But I I do think that it can be, um, it could be a different teacher. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, a trusted teacher uh, it can be a trusted adult uh, in your life or it could even be mm-hmm. honestly like one of you. If you have an older sibling, you know, who's, who's been there before and navigated the situation, um, they can teach it, too. So I do think it's somebody that's that's most of the time going to be older, somebody that's wiser. Right. Somebody that knows how to how to approach situations. Um, and so you get, again, more bees with honey. Right. Than you would do <laughs> with anything else. You know, what I mean, so um, that and it's a matter of learning that kind of like regulating your emotions. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not letting them get the best of you. So, um yeah, I think that's that's where you get it from. That's how that's how it's modeled. It's model behavior, and that's that's where you learn it from. That it's modeled. So, in terms of uh, closing up our conversation, you said from the onset that you just love to read. Okay, you love to read. How do we get? What can motivate, inspire our boys to read? Because that's like another bias that rolls around in my head sometimes that I, I will need research and statistics to to tell me that everything I see um, boys are often classified as reluctant readers. So what inspires boys to read? Um, so I can't speak for all boys, right? But I do think that it's just something that they wanna read, right? So I think mm-hmm. that it sounds simple, right? But it's like, that's what it is, right? If I want to read it, I'm going to read it. And so mm-hmm. uh, if it's if it's sports, cool, right? Let me read about sports. And then mm-hmm. I'll figure it out that way, right? It can be a higher level of complexity as I go along, but let me read about that. If it's cars, right? Let me read about that, right? Mm-hmm. If it is, if I want to read about electronics and gaming, or if I want to, whatever I want to read about, let me read that. And so don't make me read, 
you know what I'm saying, whatever it is that you think I should be reading, um, let me read what I like to read about and then we'll go from there. So giving me that voice and choice um, is big. And then I think uh, also, right, like seeing yourself in what you read. And I think mm-hmm. that that matters too, right? So if I'm reading all these stories about people that don't look like me, people that don't grow up like me, people that mm-hmm. don't have anything that I have, right? Like it's, it can be okay for a little bit, but I'm not going to be drawn to it, right? It's not going to like cultivate my love for this because it's it doesn't it doesn't matter to me. Um, and so I think that those are really the the two biggest things, right? Let me read about what I want to read about, um, and then build it from there, and then let me see myself and what I'm reading, and, and then I think that the love starts to grow from there for sure. Let me see let me see myself, which brings us back to the poem in the beginning, in terms of like you don't even see me, and let me see myself, uh, Terrence. How how could we name possibly name just one? <laughs> we can't. So favorite author or favorite genre and why? Ooh. Um, really, really tough uh question. Um I I'm gonna cheat on this one. Um I'm gonna say that my favorite author uh is Michelle Obama. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say that she's my favorite author because I think that she has such a level of intelligence, um, but she still has such a level of relatability um, Mm -hmm. where in her writing, uh, it comes across as so genuine. Right. Um, And even though she's like this untouchable, legendary, like individual, it still comes across as like she is just Mish, Right. From Chicago. And that's it. And so. Yes. um, So I'll say I'll say that. Um, and I'll, I'll leave it there because uh, it, it is really, it's so, it's so many great authors out there. Like it's so much. Yes, to they read. are. So yeah, I'm trying to like avoid, <laughs> um, trying to like think too deeply about it. But yeah, that, that will be my answer, uh, you know, for you today. I, I will flip the question for you though. Um, I need, I need a favorite author from you as well. <laughs> I, I say that an, an author at the moment, <laughs> an author du yeah, jour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So um, I wanted to say Viola Davis, Finding Me. (laughs) Oh, my word. Her autobiography, uh, just very powerful. The challenges that she has gone through. The agency and what she's doing and moving in the industry. I just thought. The story that she has to tell is is phenomenal, and on on from a male pers- from looking at male authors, of course, our favorite Jason Reynolds, but Trevor Noah's book "Born a mm. Crime," I just felt was so powerful because he's talking about growing up in worlds of. Um, with a black mom and a, and a white father and navigating that road. And a lot of what he's talking about in South Africa is happening in this country. So they are gems of a story. And I suppose we love to read because we find ourselves in the story. For sure. Yes. So I wanted to thank you, Terrence, for being my guest today on About This Life. I appreciate you. Hopefully we can continue this conversation. Um, We should have an episode just on books, (laughs) you know, books and authors and, and have a few other people to join us in that conversation. But I wanted to 
have us frame this around the idea that as we start a new school year, that as educators, we are have the opportunity to uplift our, our boys and to allow their light to shine. So I hope that we do that. And parents, come talk to us. But hey, <laughs> don't storm us. <laughs> come talk to us and let's have a conversation. So we are changing our lives <laughs> one day at a time. <laughs>